Hey everybody, welcome to Ducks Watch Together. I'm Josh. And I'm a figment of your imagination. And on today's episode, we talk about films that deal with things we're afraid of. Greatest fears. Part one. Part one. The good episode. (laughs) (laughs) The episode where we talk about movies we liked. Yeah. Josh, you gotta, well... I'm gonna, I will fully admit, (laughs) I, uh, I struck out this month. I... Picked two movies that were weird, <laughs> but they did deal with things that I'm afraid of. So, Josh, they're not weird. They're just not as good as sure. other things. They're not as tasteful to us. <laughs> I will say though, yeah, because I'm afraid of the other things. <laughs> I will say though that I don't know if you love my films, but I will probably. I'm gonna guess that if I said, "Hey, let's watch Merp." Over Merp, you'd probably pick my first Merp. Depends on the mood that I'm in, because that Richard the Third movie is weird. No, Spoilers. I Spoilers. Spo- sorry. Sorry. Um, I would absolutely pick both of your movies over both of mine. Absolutely. Unless you're in a weird text. All right. Well, this month, we are going to jump into talking about movies that deal in some way with our greatest fears. Um, I'm going to toss it over to my co-host, Kylie, because... Why we chose this theme, that's all on her. I don't know, because, like, that's fun. Okay, great. I, yeah. You know, like, you know, like, with, like, other films, like, you okay, so, like, when we did black and white films, there, like, there was a constant tone with that. Like, we were like, well, this is just sad month, or, like, this is serious month. Uh-huh. Um, and then what was our first one? Comebacks. That one actually was, like, a pretty nice grab bag. And I like, I like, I like when you have a constant thing, and I like when you have, like, a little bit more of a grab bag. Yeah. Um, and this is, and I think next week or next month, we will have more of a constant theme again. <laughs> and so like, we're just going to be going back and forth. And so, I don't know. I just, I picked a grab bag and I thought that this would be a fun one because there's no real rhyme or, like there is a rhyme or reason to our picks, but there's no rhyme or reason as to why these are, why these picks happen or not. So Yeah, absolutely. And also I think it's a fun way as always to, um, get to know us a little bit better as well, which I think is, I, I like, I like, I know when I'm listening to podcasts and especially film commentary podcasts, that's something that I like because once I understand, once I get to know the hosts a little more, I can understand their opinion and, and how, what I agree, disagree, what, kind of how I want to take it and take that as well. So, yeah. All right. So number one <laughs> from 1979. Uh, I wanted to say nine. I didn't believe myself. Have faith, have faith. I should have believed in myself. Yeah, second absolutely. wave fem- second wave feminism. Here we go. It's, it's here. That well that I always I always associate that 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 film comes out like in the midst of second wave feminism. So it's the end of the 70s and it's Kramer versus Kramer. Directed by a person. Directed by Usually I have this information up, but I'm slacking. Robert Benton. Robert Benton. The best picture winner for the year, 1979. And then if you look at anything else that he's uh, directed. Oh yeah, he did Twilight. No. No. Yeah, he did Twilight from 19... Isn't that like Billy Condon or something? Twilight. Oh, Twilight. You're right. Starring... Paul Newman, Susan Sarandon, and Gene Hackman. Yeah, yeah so Paul Newman is Edward. Susan Sarandon is Bella, and a weird choice is Gene Hackman is Jacob, but I think it works out. Hot take. Yeah, what's up? I think that Paul Newman is Bella. 
<laughs> and we go from there. Okay, great. Love it. I love it. He's yeah. also got No Base Fool starring Paul Newman. <laughs> He's also got Places in the Hearts starring Sally Field. I've heard of this film. Oh, I watched this film. We were randomly searching through movies on <clears throat> stars, and Anna was like, let's watch this one. And I was like, okay. And that was a mistake? Or... Uh, boring. It has a, it's trying to say a little bit of things, but like, so it's set in the Is this depression. She, does she win her Oscar for this? No. Okay. Yes. Because your review starts with, oh, Benton, what you did for me. You changed my life. And I just imagine you are doing that in Sally Field's voice. <laughs> it's probably a line from the movie. Oh, no, no. Because your does. thing ends with, mm-hmm. and I can't deny the fact that you like, like me. me. Right I now, know. you like yeah. me. Thank you. Yeah. There you go. There it is. Sally Field on accepting an Oscar for this yeah, movie. Yeah, no, that's right. You were right. 100%. There you go. It's her second one, though. Yeah, absolutely. Because, like, the first one... Is Norma Ray. We're not sure if we like her. I'm sure, but she's not. <laughs> she's not sure. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Kramer versus Kramer from uh, Robert Benton. 1979, Oscar winner. Starring Justin Hoffman and uh, Meryl Streep. And the kid who would go on to be in The Shining? Justin Henry? No. Is that not? Oh, okay. No. Um, that's Danny Lloyd. Oh, okay. Why is Justin Henry a familiar name? Uh, 16 Candles? I, okay, great. Yeah. I'm looking at the... I'm looking at ever Kramer versus Kramer? Is he Elliot? Is he in E.T.? Is that a different No, kid? that's... Okay. No, that's the guy... No, that's the guy who's now hanging out... Mike Flan with Mike Flan again. Okay. <laughs> no, not the same person. Great. I have no idea why this name is familiar, because I guess I've seen Sixteen Candles. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, okay. I, I Literally, it's because I thought he was another kid. His first role in a performance that earned him a nomination for Academy Award for Best Supporting Actor, the youngest actor to ever be nominated in any category. So maybe maybe it's just, yeah. you know, film history. Maybe that's true. Yeah. Um, it, I wonder if that's still true. I know Anna Paquin was nominated. She was pretty young. She was like, I think she was nine. Nine. Yeah. But. I don't know how ages work. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, nine comes after eight before ten. Okay. Uh-huh. I know that. Okay, great. It's like, I can't, I can't like look at a child and be like, you are within, <laughs> you are eight. I might think that you are anywhere from six. To 12, depending on how you act. Fair enough. Okay. Okay, so Josh. Yeah. What's my greatest fear based on this film? (laughs) Really (laughs) aggressive lawyers. Oh, man. That is true. That is one of my... Man, that's one of my biggest pet peeves. (laughs) That scene annoys me so much in Marriage Story, specifically. It's a lot worse in Marriage Story. It's also bad here. Like, they do it here, too. They're, it's just normal lawyer stuff. Um, it's becoming a parent, which... Oh, okay. Yeah, it's not divorce, you know. I was like, is it divorce? This one is about divorce. <laughs> it's, it's, almost, it's kind of about divorce, but really, like, the trial is not about, like, them getting a divorce. It's all about the child custody. Yeah. Like, it's not even, like, a settlement of divorce, like, anything like that. Which was interesting because... They, they kind of just jump through that process. Yeah. yeah. And like, no fault, no fault divorces might have just started being legalized, but I doubt, I doubt that it's legal where this takes place. They kind of, yeah, they kind of just jump over the whole divorce. And when it gets to the court scene, it's about the child. But 
uh, you know, being a parent is something that I am terrified of. Um, and Dustin Hoffman suddenly has to, he is quote unquote a parent the whole time, like before, but he's not at the beginning. And then eventually he has to be a parent and then he falls in love with his child and then someone tries to rip him away. And that, I, that just seems like the scariest thing to care about something so much and then have it like fall on its face, his face, not its face. <laughs> and then, you know, like, like, oh gosh. Can't do it. General parenting is the <laughs> Well, yeah, like, like you know, giving up your freedom and your responsibility to take care of this child, and then, like, something could happen to this child, and then, like, your heart is gone forever. Yeah. 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 <laughs> terrifying. Yeah. Absolutely terrifying. Yeah, but this does it in a fun way, where I don't, like, have to worry about it. <laughs> fun? There are many words to describe this film. I don't know about fun. It doesn't, it doesn't... It does it in a less, like, I mean, like, serious, like, cold-hearted way, uh-huh. like other films easily could. Yes, yeah. Um, where there is, like, it has ebbs and flows of lever- le- uh, levity mm-hmm. and, like, seriousness. And so it's never, it's never like, to the point of, like, watch me rip out my heart. I love this film, Josh. <laughs> yeah, good movie. Solid movie. Um, this is, I think, the second or third time that I've watched this movie. Um, I like this movie a lot. Um... I think that as time progresses, mm-hmm. um, the thing that becomes interesting about this movie is not necessarily um, anything that is necessarily in the the text of the film, but I think it's a conversation that you can have in and around this film because it's a good story and it's a well-made movie, and I think all of those things are true, but what I think puts it to another level is is that you can look at this movie and there are lots of different readings upon it and I don't necessarily think that there is a right or wrong way to analyze what's happening in the movie. I will say that I do think the film has a point of view mm-hmm. and you and part of that is part of that conversation then is do you agree with that film's point of view or not or do you think the film's point of view is healthy or not and I think that's that is the interesting question for me um and it's not even it's not even is I think there are also I think that what's also interesting is that there are different sections within the not sections but different themes or topics that you can actually look at and describe this part what they're trying to do here is healthy what they're doing trying to do here what they're trying to do here is not as healthy Mm -hmm. and so like even Like, even it's not just, like, one, like, this is healthy or not, but it's, like, different themes, different elements. They have different, like, um, you can take away different things and you can point out that I think what they're trying to do here is good, positive, great. And you can point out, look at something else and say, this, not so great, not so healthy. And how has that changed um, since then? And Yeah, and that makes it a very nuanced and deep film. Um, to kind of just, I mean, not to gloss over some things, but Kramer versus Kramer is like, I think a film that is discussed a lot, but I do think that one of the things that is talked about a lot are the performances. I think that both the, the two lead performances in the film by Justin Hoffman and Meryl Streep are great. Um, Jane Alexander. Is, that's the friend, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Joanne? No, Joanne is, is Meryl Streep. Margaret. Margaret, yeah. She's also wonderful in the movie. Um... Kid performance is a kid. Justin Henry is a kid, so 
good good job on that. I think children performances are really hard to like engage engage or gauge. Yes, but what was nice about this is when they put the film together, I don't think they asked him to do anything more than just be a kid. And so I think that that's what's really helpful to his performance here. Um, yeah, so I think that that's the really interesting thing there. So the, to dive into what the, like, kind of the structure and what we're talking about on a little bit more specific levels, um, the film deals with the custody battle of this child. And mm-hmm. as it starts out, you see Dustin Hoffman as this uh, father who... In the brief pre-split up time that we see, seems to be more focused on his job and the very traditional male role of, I will go to work, mm-hmm. I will be good at my job, and that is how I will provide for my family. And that will make me a good husband and, and a good father. Yes, absolutely. And he's just firm in that belief. Mm-hmm. And then the moment that that goes away, we see him having to actually engage with his son as a human terrifying (laughs) yeah um i think that some of the best filmmaking in this movie it happens in that first breakfast scene oh Um, oh (laughs) (laughs) what a stressful scene um and so like where he's trying to get his kid ready for school and he's like great Let's make French toast. And it's like 935. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, Whoa, this is a, yeah, put some peanut butter on a piece of bread here down the street. But like all he knows how to do in that moment is give his son what he wants. He's not used to having to be the disciplinarian parent, you know. Um, and so I think that that's, that, that filmmaking is really kinetic and that scene just makes you feel that energy. Like, and, and, and coming from, for me, for this film, um, as a child of divorce, of a contentious divorce, who went through a gross custody battle and had to sit on trial, the film hits really close to home. Um, and there are a lot, many moments in this movie where I feel... So much. You're right. Um, there are many moments in the film where I feel so, so much empathy for these characters, specifically the Dustin Hoffman's father character, whose name is Ted, Ted, I think, and the son, who's Billy. Um, I think it does a really good job of focusing on their relationship and how it is affect and how it's affected by them one having to connect to each other and two the loss of the mother figure in the relationship. And I think it's I think that I think that the point that the film wants to make that the father is also the father also needs to be an equal part in the parenting. I think that that theme is good. I think that that exploration is good. It's also, it's becoming more, we see it more now of like the single dad raising the child. Um, and I don't really know how that was in the seventies or even the early eighties, how common that was. Um, and I think that what they're trying to show there are good points and that, and that the nurturing aspect, the more feminine touches, um, can also be it can also be traits that um, men can have. I agree with that sentence. And yet I also, in thinking of context to the 70s mm-hmm. 
and New Hollywood and how all of that kind of plays into a very masculine point of view and a very, that very just white male coming from a place of privilege point of view is what the new generation of Hollywood is all about, Mm -hmm. that 70s era there. And so I do think that in one of the elements that doesn't quite work as well for me is that, yes, we like, I like the representation of, like, dads can be good and dads can be effeminate and, like, that's great. But I do think that it has this level of, like, oh, my gosh, what if the dad did the mom's job? Oh, sorry. Sorry, sorry. Oh, my gosh, what if the dad did the mom's job? And, like, yeah, what if? Like, this is not an, this is not news. This is not, like, anything that should be shocking or surprising. You're literally showing your privilege by putting that forth as, like, but what if this had to do this? And that is a little something of the film that I think is, while there are good elements to that, it does just need to be examined that, like, the shock of it is, is, like, what if he had to also be a mom? Mm-hmm. And I think, I mean, and that's that's usually how first steps happen, is that it's mm-hmm. the people in power are like, hey, look at what can happen. Mm-hmm. And then after that, that's where the next steps happen. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and yeah, and that's a, that's a very, that's just a very Hollywood thing. That's mm-hmm. a very normal thing in just American culture, yeah. is that the first people to make the impact, unfortunately, are not the, are, are unfortunately not the people whose voices need to be heard. Mm-hmm. It's usually, it comes from a place of people who have a platform to make those statements yeah. and say things. Go ahead. Um, I think that one of the things that the, I think like, I think the element of the film that is most contested with like, with, within like every conversation is Meryl Streep's character mm-hmm. um, and the character of Joanne. And I think that, for me, um, a lot of people say that Joanne does is not a sympathetic character. I find her sympathetic at times. It's also easier to see her sympathy the second time you watch it. Mm-hmm. Because you, in particular, she has that speech in the middle of the courtroom that earns Meryl Streep her Oscar. Mm-hmm. That she, I'm pretty sure she improvs it. I don't think it's actually <laughs> in the script. And wow, Meryl, really? Meryl Streep was like... Uh, she was like, hey, do you want this to be a character or not? Yeah. <laughs> and they were like, um, let, sure, we'll give you one take. Dang. Yeah. <laughs> Earn that Oscar Merrill. Earn it. And, and so, like, I, I, I think that it's easier the second time. And when you actually listen to what she says to Ted, um, I do have sympathy for her. Because, like, for me, I have had the similar... Um, relationships just with people uh where she says like you know my whole life I've always felt like I was someone's daughter someone's wife and it's she felt like she was only um a person in the context of relationships with other uh with other with men essentially and like that that's kind of something that society is now just suddenly starting to turn away from but like for me I was like oh yeah I relate to this and I feel sympathy she also has a terrifying line at the beginning where she's like, if I go back in that apartment in a week or two, I'm going to go out the window. And so, like, 
We do get an insight into Joanna's character a little bit later on. We don't get it at the beginning. She's absent. So she's in the very first couple of scenes, and then she's absent for about 45 minutes of this movie. We actually also never see her as a parent. Yeah. Um, Except for the first scene with the kid where she's leaving. He's asleep, and she's like, I love you, Billy. And He's the, responding back to okay. her, but for the most part, it's it's that goodnight ritual that they call back to later with dad, mm-hmm. because he says, don't let the bed buds bite, and then see you in the morning light, okay. and that's a callback there. But it is very small, But so for, the, for all intents and purposes, yes, we never really see her as a parent, except for when she's leaving her child. Yep. Yeah. Or um, that day that they have together... Like when they their first reading. yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and that's also just like we see a hug and then they run off yeah um, I do agree with you that on on rewatch her character comes into focus more but I do think that you do have to kind of the the film is so focused on Ted, Ted's really. point of view and you do have to kind of like take those glasses off and really try to work Mm -hmm. to see her point of view. If you're a passive viewer of this film, I do think it's really easy to just vilify that character. And even though we see her point of view, in some ways, I do think the filmmakers were just doing that because one, if Meryl's like, I need this speech. I need an Oscar. I need this (laughs) I need an Oscar. Market Oscar. <laughs> Market, Market Oscar. Oscar. I think Jane was also um, nominated for an Oscar, too. Yeah. I mean, Same category. Yeah. Then <laughs> Meryl steamrolled her. <laughs> um, but it's clear that it's there to just round out that character mm-hmm. rather than allow us to see any sort of interiority to her. And that's something that is missing from this movie for me. Because I think that if we were genuinely going to get to see the story of these two people and like their 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 process of going through this gross custody battle, I want to see more of her and her process as well. And even if that is through the time she does get to spend with Billy, then yes, I think that's a great way. But you, they intentionally leave it out of the film because of the very last moment, mm-hmm. which is the moment that feels the most false to me in the entire piece. I just, spoilers for Kramer versus Kramer, if you haven't seen the film, now's a good time to skip ahead a little bit and things like that. Um, the very last moment of the film she's she's won the court case Mm -hmm. and she's coming to pick up billy who's going to go live with her and maybe this is a little bit of personal like experience being put on there because i know from my family situation my mom would have never done that tooth and nail no matter what um and i just that moment rings really false to me that like she would go through all of this battle all of this heartbreak, put her son through this, put her ex-partner through this, put herself through it, put her bank account through it, like everything, to then just at the last moment when she's got her son, say, nah, let him stay with you. Yeah, the the only, the one way that I think about how to fix that is if you get her point of view and like you see her almost like, she's become a mother again and you see that self-doubt that she talks about having Mm -hmm. like 
then maybe we can understand what she's yeah. doing. Um, and that that's just that's an issue with we don't spend any time yes, with Joanna. Absolutely. Um, I do think I do think that the film it does it does antagonize her. Um, something I do appreciate is that it also shows that Ted it doesn't get him off the hook of being a, ter- a bad husband. Yeah. Like there's even the first time they meet in that cafe and he slams the glass against the wall and like walks out. It's a terrifying scene. Mm-hmm. And I, that's something that I appreciate that Ted is not after like the opening scene. He's not like, I'm a better, I'm a great person now. And then you get that scene with Billy as well, where he's doing that very typical parent thing of like, you tell the child because it's very true. It is not the child's fault that the parents are getting divorced. Mm-hmm. That is always true, no matter what. But when he goes even further and giving him, again, a moment of giving that character some interiority, he takes the blame. Mm-hmm. And that, I think, is a big moment as well. And then to pair that with the moment where his where Ted's lawyer is going to town on, like, are you a bad parent? Were you? Was it your fault? Was it your fault? And we keep cutting to Dustin Hoffman. Mm-hmm. And He's, he's like, like shaking his neck. Yeah, he's like, no. He's comforting her in that moment, still accepting that internal, like, our marriage falling apart was my fault. Mm-hmm. I never gave you what you wanted. I didn't listen to you. And I appreciate so much that that is in this film. A film that I I jokingly, like, joke about, like, oh, the film, like, what if moms were bad? Like, that's the that's the line <laughs> that gets it made. It's called equality, Josh. Yeah. Moms can be bad, yeah, too. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but I do actually think the film has more to say than just what if moms were bad. Mm-hmm. And I think, that, I think that the way that they are portraying Joanna's character, like, it doesn't feel very different than how we would how we would treat if it was a if it, it was reversed where the man's the one who the father yeah, is leaving yeah. um i think that it, because like very easily we could have gone much harder and worse because the mother leaving is a less typical experience mm-hmm. that we um view in media and so like I do appreciate that it's not like, well, now that the woman is leaving, we're going to show her to be much worse. It's not, she's not a mommy dearest situation. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, because usually when you see bad moms, they are like, bad moms. Yeah, you can't have like, you can't just like, have like a semi-bad mom. Like, you get a monster. Pivoting a little bit away from, um, from, from the Joanna conversation, because she is an antagonist in this film, but she's not the only antagonist in the film. And I do think that this movie has a lot of space for making work and the society of work um, really antagonistic in this movie. We see one of the major relationships that we see in the beginning part of the movie is between uh, Ted and his boss and how it starts out very friendly and, and ends up very, very um, angrily very because of he loses his job. And there's no space in this film, whether it be um, in the process of him losing his job or when he's being on trial for losing his job. Um, there's no space in the film, in the work world, for dad-to-be parent, you know? And I think that that is, that's a really damning indictment of uh, 
work and workplace society, specifically in the 70s, but I definitely think a lot of that still holds true. Well, that's the point. That was, like, the point of marriage is that one person goes to work and one person is the at-home caretaker. I mean, Mm -hmm. like, today we, like, vilify millennials because they can't work a 40-hour week and then keep their houses clean and do everything that they have to do um, if they're, like, not married or, like, they don't have someone else to help them because, like... The expectation was one person would work, one person takes care of the kids in the home. Yeah. And so, like, um, that, I, I mean, we still see that today. We still have the, those issues. But, yeah, it is very, it's very critical of that. But it doesn't do it in an annoying way um, where, like, it says, like, you either have your, your work life or you enjoy your life. There's no in between because there are scenes where we actually get to see Dustin Hoffman's character like having fun with his son and still working and then eventually he loses his job. He gets a better job, but not a better job. I think he seems more content. Yeah, yeah. More get, balanced. It's a weird thing that cuz also he gets a job where he gets paid less and has less responsibility, but it's able to spend more time with his son. Mm-hmm. So, there is that balance. And then what are you going to do with that now? I think the movie holds up in terms of is it worth watching still today? Because yes, it is definitely of its time. Mm-hmm. Um, but as we've had a, a very nice discussion about, I think the themes and the the kind of overall overarching um, relevance of the movie stands today. We've definitely not. Um, finished talking about any of these issues <laughs> if for no other reference... we fixed it. Yeah, yeah, we fixed we it. We fixed it. Yeah, if for no other reference than 2019's Marriage Story deals with a similar subject, mm-hmm. you know, in, in in almost structurally the same way, you know, um, and... It, its biggest, its biggest uh, improvement is that we actually spend a lot more time with Scarlett Johansson's yes. character than we do with Joanna. And we get to see Scarlett Johansson be a mom. Yeah. Um, and it actually, I know that like a lot of it has to do with the custody battle, but it, the marriage story also feels like it's about their divorce Agreed. and not just, the, cust- not just mm-hmm. the custody battle. Yeah. And so like... That that that's where it kind of changes some things. I like Kramer versus Kramer more, but you know, Marriage Story I think is trying to modernize some views. And also, yeah. Marriage Story has similar issues with Kramer versus Kramer because in the end, I think that Noah Baumbach is taking Adam Driver's side over Scarlett Johansson's side. Mm-hmm. But like, I agree. He's he's trying. He's trying. He's trying. <laughs> um, again. I, weirdly enough, like, in terms of, like, the conversation around, like, the societal issues and themes, yeah, sure, Marriage Story fixes some of the things as well, but watching these two movies side by side, um, maybe Kramer versus Kramer is the better movie? I enjoy both movies for what they are. Um, They're saying something different. Yeah, absolutely. Kramer versus Kramer is more focused on, like, men, be, be a parent, be a dad. Yeah. Be, dads can be good. Look yeah. at Ron Howard. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Yeah, absolutely. There's just a scene where Dustin Hoffman is like, this is my friend Ron. He is a good father. 
Um, I don't know the parenting styles of Ron Howard. I don't either. A podcast that I listened to, the host went to school with Bryce Dallas Howard, and they said that the Howards were lovely people. Yeah, and absolutely. that was the end of the conversation. I literally am like, if you look at, like, for Bryce Dallas Howard being the child of a world-famous director seems very well adjusted. She yeah. also... In one of her Star Wars episodes that she directed, she, like, she doesn't copy a scene. She pays homage to a scene from Apollo 13. Yeah. Which, like, if you don't like your dad, you don't do that, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Especially on, like, the budget of The Mandalorian. <laughs> All right. Um, any final thoughts on Kramer versus Kramer? Folks, it's a flawed classic, but... I think y'all should give you gotta you gotta actively watch it, but I think yeah. I think you gotta give it a shot. Absolutely, I agree with that sentence there, and I think I think like I said, the flaws actually enhance the conversation that's around it because I loved how you said it's it's the first step, and I think it's always interesting to watch the first step and see where we've come and where we can still grow, and where they were. Yeah, yeah. Step two was Marriage Story. Let's see what step three is. <laughs> step three, I'm going to make a movie. Moms can be super bad. Well, we've already had that. Oh, shoot. We've, Josh, we've... Oh, gosh. Watch, like, watch, like, any, like, Disney story where, like, the child's a stepchild. Like... Yeah. I think for me, that's why I always, like, I connect emotionally so much to this movie is just because it it mirrors what I went through as a kid, um, except for the, like, the last moment. Like, no, my mom was like, no, I freaking won, and this child will come to me. And then there was just so much guilt put on me because like, I wanted to live with my father. My father was the better parent. Um, and so, yeah, absolutely. It was just like, ugh. This movie is kind of hard for me to always engage with just because like I'm so much like, me, me, I'm this little child right here. I just want to make French toast with my dad. Yeah. I always think about that scene where he tries to go get the ice cream and he loses his mind. <laughs> and I always... Oh, another thing. One last thing. Yes. Folks, if you, if you have to like go and improve yourself, do it. But when you write your child a letter... Please don't, like, say that one thing was being a mom. Like, being your mom was one thing, but I need more things in my life. Especially to this child that is six to eight yeah. years old. Like, I get it as an adult, but when you, the child sees that. There is a healthy and positive way to have the conversation that I am not just one thing. Mm -hmm. I am not just your mother. I am also a person who has interests and needs and wants and desires just like you. There is a healthy way to do that. And that letter. In a letter <laughs> that is not one of them. Especially when it's probably going to be read by the dad. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Like the moment where he turns up the TV, I was like, ugh, been there, kid. Like, I get you. Yeah. yeah. I also, uh, one last thing and then we'll be done. I also appreciate that he doesn't, in front of his son, vilify his mother. Correct. And he allows him to, like, keep a picture of her yeah. out in the open. Anyways, now let's go on to my second film. <laughs> <laughs> Ah, uh, uh, yes, a film also <laughs> about familial relationships. Uh, wow. Is, do I have a common theme? 
<laughs> Unintentionally? Dun, 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 dun. Oh, you're right. It's about dads can be good. <laughs> dads can be good. Robo dads can be good. Yeah, so... um. Oh, is this step two? Step two is... <laughs> Terminator. 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 You just need a robot dad. Yeah, judgment day. Yeah, you need someone without any emotion. Because... <laughs> It, I mean, having no emotion is better than having only angry emotions. Uh. <laughs> uh, Terminator 2, Judgment Day. Josh, robots are terrifying. <laughs> our, our, uh, the way that we have developed technology has not grown linear, linear, linearly. It has grown exponentially. And we need to stop now before we hit artificial intelligence and the robots take over. <laughs> So Avengers Campus in Disneyland. Oh my gosh, Josh, I don't like this. <laughs> they have a stunt animatronic whose job <laughs> is to be Spider-Man and like he will climb oh up gosh. the wall and then like he leaps from one building to another. Josh, the sound. Oh goodness, I can't do I can't like <laughs> My skin, a stunt animatronic, yeah. and my skin is crawling. Yeah. Disney is, is out there developing these AI robots. Hot take. Yeah. I think Disney has the money that they actually figured out how to give someone spider genes, and they just say it's an animatronic to hide, <laughs> to hide their Frankenstein creation. Fair. Hot Fair. take. Hot take about my beliefs in Disney. <laughs> oh, I, I don't like that. Like, okay, so robots terrifying, uh-huh. <laughs> which is, I, you know, I, I chose more of like, you know, the serial, the serious internal fear and that, which is Kramer versus Kramer. And then this one is like an outside fear, which is the rise of the machines. <laughs> oh, why didn't we watch Terminator 3, Rise of Machines? They don't rise though. Oh, well, shoot. <laughs> Linda Carter, also not in that film. Yeah, so yeah. I sh- Linda Hamilton. Oh, yes. Linda, Linda Carter. <laughs> not Wonder Woman. Wonder Woman. I mean... Also not Linda Cardellini. Also not that. No, Linda Cardellini is a green book lady. <laughs> and Hawkeye's wife. Her biggest... Her and biggest Velma. And Velma. She's great as Velma. And Lindsay? Is that her Freaks and Geeks character? Lizzie? Yes. Lindsay? Lindsay. Yeah. Wow. <sighs> Linda Cardellini. Anyways, here yeah. we go. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, you know... We had we watched two we watched different versions of this film is what I've decided. Yep. Where you watched the theater theatrical, theatrical release, cut. and I watched the director's cut. Though I didn't know I did because there was no marking on the disc or the case that I was watching the director's cut. For reference, for friends that are wondering what the difference is, if you have ever seen a version of Terminator Two that has Kyle Reeser in it. You've watched the director's cut. It's a good scene. Yeah. It's a gentle scene. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You need that. I mean, you don't need that scene, but <laughs> I can't imagine a world without that scene. Yeah. I'm pretty sure that scene, I don't think, so I saw this film for the first time I was in college and I didn't know the twist. Um, and I was with friends and I screamed because I was like, what is happening? Because I didn't engage with like 80s action films. I wasn't that person. There was no Ripley in this. What's the point? And then... What about 90s action films? Um, I mean like... 
if they if they had Keanu Reeves in them, I saw it. So even though ninety one, you're still not here with this. No Keanu. No, this is ninety. Oh, this yeah. uh, this is the nineties. I think of it more of the eighties because it starts in the eighties. I agree with you. But like, yes, this is yeah. a nineties action film. Um, yeah, I don't know. Like, also just action films like from that era all feel the same, and then people say they're totally different, and I'm like, okay. I will say that the difference between 80s and 90s action film is cl- is clear to me, mm-hmm. um, but I do think okay. that... Okay! <laughs> but I am going to say that, like, I think that is, that is similar to being, like, the difference between opera and light opera is also clear to me. Like, if you don't know, you don't know. Like, and that's not, not, not the end of the world. Um, the literal difference is, um, I'm going to say silliness. Um, the 80s action films are generally very serious in their tone of, like, America, Reaganism, war. And, like, 90s ones are like, yeah, but, like, what if the bus couldn't go behind below 45 mile, 55 miles an hour? Like, come on, everybody. Terrorism is not a laughing matter. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, yes. Uh, so like, and then the second time I, so that was the first time I watched it and I was like, good flick. The second time I watched it, it was like a re-release in theaters. So I went to an empty theater and watched it by myself. It was in 3D, which was annoying, but yeah, here we are. And then the third time was when I watched it for this. Um, I don't remember the first time that I watched this movie. (laughs) Um, but I definitely saw T2 before I saw Terminator. Um, I don't actually have a memory of watching Terminator 1 prior to when I watched it prior to this movie this time which is why I watched it um and then I I definitely Terminator 2 was like just a movie that was on in my household because my my family was like yeah this is a movie like we like this movie and I was like okay cool whatever um for me T2 is a movie that suffers from hype um, every time that this movie is usually brought up, it is the greatest action movie that's ever been. It's the greatest sequel of all time. Oh, it's so good. And I'm like, yeah, it's fun. Like, it's fine. Um, truthfully, um, I like this movie. I think it's good. Good times were had by all. It actually has a lot more to say, and it actually has a lot more heart to it than I ever would have thought. Um, from watching it as as a kid, where where I think as a kid you just focus like, ooh explosions, ooh robot, ooh he's liquid, ooh this thing over here, like you're just seeing the set pieces. Um, it's also made by a cold man. <laughs> yeah, it's also made by an actual Terminator. Um, James Cameron. I'm not sure how much we've talked about James Cameron on the podcast. Um, I probably. Uh... You know, we've definitely... Titanic has been on a list, but mm-hmm. I don't think we talked about it in the context of James Cameron because it's, it, it feels like an outlier yeah. in a lot of ways. It's like the least Cameron-y James Cameron movie. The first half. I, we should, I should say the first half feels very un-James Cameron-y, and the second half is a lot more... I yeah. see a lot more of him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, um, well, yeah, because the first half, I don't know, deals with... Um, characters? Um, characters? Yeah. But the second half, both break. Both break. Both break. <laughs> and like he literally structures it that way because he's like, well, okay, like let's let, let's build the anticipation. How do we how do we stall when we're on a boat? I don't know. These two people are in love. Cool. And I'll um, I'll do the drawings. Yeah. Um, 
So I, go ahead. I, I also haven't. I, you know, I've seen Avatar. I haven't seen it since I saw it in theaters that one time. Um, it's been a long. I've seen Aliens once. It's been a long, long time since I've seen Terminator. I haven't seen True Lies, The Abyss, or Piranha Two. Um. So like, I I, for the most part, I'm always just like James Cameron is fine. <laughs> James Cameron is fine. That that that's gonna probably our hottest take. We're gonna we're gonna frustrate people, but it's fine. Um, I, I think he is. I mean, the, the real comp point, and I, I mean this not necessarily in the in in a, in the negative way. The real comp point is Michael Bay. Um, and they are very similar filmmakers in the sense of they care about the spectacle mm-hmm. and they care about the. Um, the kind of, how big of a story can I make? And I like working with the tech. And they, they're they not so much on the details of things about, like, plot and character and story. And there there has a place to that. And I would definitely say that I think Cameron is a better filmmaker um, than, than Michael Bay, if for nothing else than just the taste factor. I think James Cameron has a little bit of taste, and I don't think Michael Bay has any. Um, so, that all being said, um, the Terminator 2 is, is a good movie. I think it's really well paced. I think that it is, he actually, again, here, spends time with the characters. And again, I think that's because he's trying to slow down the pace of the movie. Because you can't have too many car chases all together at once. Yeah, absolutely. You have to you have to breathe. Yeah. There are a lot of car chases. There are a lot of action sequences in this movie. Um and for me, they are the parts of the movie I don't like all that much. I think if there was less of them. Yeah, absolutely. I do I do I really appreciate some of them. Mm-hmm. And I think they're like I think the one in particular that like I would like consider like jaw jaw dropping is the where we first get Eddie Furlong and the Terminator like they first meet and they're on the bike and mm-hmm. he's chasing them with the semi truck yeah like there oh gosh there is some like really crazy stuff happening there and then after that it's like well you already flipped a semi truck <laughs> what like. Like, nothing else you do at this point yeah. is going to be as interesting or engaging as that. But I do appreciate how tac- how tactile that is. Yeah. To the point where you're watching this and you're like, this is a child for sure on yeah. this bike who is not wearing a helmet and are we going to kill him? Yeah. Um, that is, I think, the rock star sequence of the entire movie. To go down the next step, the other sequence that I enjoy is the Skynet is when they break into Skynet. Is that what the right word? Skynet? Mm-hmm. Sure. That's the place where Joe Morton works. Um, like second in balloting of MVP, like really solid Joe Morton, like savior of a lot of this movie as well. And, and what's interesting about that one is it's one of the, I think it's the only time where it's people versus people. Mm-hmm. Whereas every other time it's like, well, the Terminator, but people versus the machine. Yes. Yeah. Um, and, like, the T-1000 is Robert Patrick's character. Yep. Is involved in that sequence, but mm-hmm. he's definitely not the main focus of it. But those two action sequences, in general, have a similar common thread, which is there's there's a through line, a really clear through line that needs to happen through them, whether it be to get John Connor to safety mm-hmm. or to 
destroy this piece of technology. Um, I think that, that that helps really ground both of those sequences in a, a sense of reality mm-hmm. um, in this kind of heightened robotic world. Yep. To say the words that everybody says about this movie that are super amazingly true, Linda Hamilton is a rock star and it's amazing and is hands down the iconic best thing in this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, her performance is something that she... It, like to, to recognize her personal demons, she was going through a lot when she was doing this as well. And so to be able to give that much on screen when you're going through so much personally for whatever reasons those are i think is something that that should be praised in all of the ways that it needs to be praised because i mean linda hamilton basically gave her career Mm -hmm. to make this iconic performance you know and so i i just i appreciate so much of what that is and how it's done and i think with the character as written it could be handled really distastefully, and it's not. And I appreciate that. Yeah, she has moments of vulnerability. Um, she has moments... Oh my gosh, bad mom. Do I... Is it a common theme? She has <laughs> moments where, like, um, she's not the most sympathetic mother figure. Mm-hmm. Um, because her, like... To me, her relationship with... Um, John is always like very cold and like I gotta keep this kid alive because like that's what I have to do until like there are a few moments of genuine but like there always seems to be like she has like an arm at a distance because either she's gonna die protecting him and she doesn't want him to like Mm -hmm. have that on his conscience forever or she's gonna lose him and so like it always like there always just feels like there's like a, like a distance between them. Well, and I think that like to again find some similarities between Kramer versus Kramer and Terminator Two, um, we talked about the last moment of Kramer versus Kramer ringing false because it's a mother in that case a mother choosing to after all she's fought to not be with her son anymore. This one rings really true because uh, Linda Hamilton's character Sarah Connor makes a similar choice. She looks over at the Terminator, Arnold Schwarzenegger, and is like, Robo Dad is the best parental figure for my kid, mm-hmm. which means Robo Dad can be dad and I can be the new Terminator and go deal with the problems. And she's going to go make the sacrifice play to save the world. And again, it's this similar choice that this time works where she's like, I'm more than being this kid's mother and he's going to have to understand that and I'm leaving him with the paternal figure in this moment. Mm-hmm. We see it. We see why it's happening. All of the characters in that moment are given um, are given time to express why, they're do- why their choices are what they are. I like Robert Patrick in this film. Yeah. <laughs> I like him at the beginning where we're just like, oh my gosh, it's just another Kyle Reese. <laughs> and then when he is a robot, when he is a robot, <laughs> uh, he just, he's terrifying. Yeah. Gosh. Uh, and I know that a lot of it has to do with like the technology of like making him go through the metal bars and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. Like, like, but I think that like he is 
Like, when you see Arnold Schwarzenegger walking down the street, you're like, that's that's definitely a robot. <laughs> <laughs> but I think that that's what's so sneaky and uh, smart about Robert Patrick's character is that he is terrifying when he is, like, much more of a felt mm-hmm. person. Like, you don't get as much of that physical intimidation. But there's those scenes when they're, like, in the lava pit or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> and he's like, call to John. And, like, oh, God, oh. I, don't I think that it's a really good casting because, one, good performer. Two, it's kind of this this mix of Michael Bean, who plays Kyle Reeser, um, in terms of, like, look and build and physicality, but the intensity mm-hmm. of the Arnold Schwarzenegger character. So it, it makes... This weird sense that, like, they were thinking of, like, when they were developing the next model of Terminator, how do we, like, blend them together to make the more advanced model? And that's clear that it is Robert Patrick. This is also, I think Robert Patrick's character is also where James Cameron is trying to make a little, is trying to do some commentary, social commentary. Where I and I like I I talked about the twist. The twist is that the Terminator is not a bad guy, right? Because in the beginning of the film, there's no indication that he should be a good guy until he is. Something that Cameron has spoke about. It was like, well, we did this for the generations ahead of time that won't see all the promotion and marketing and all of those things because it was known out front mm-hmm. that Arnold was the good guy of this movie. Shouldn't have been. It should have been hidden. Because, like, then you see it and you're like, whoa! <laughs> whoa! <laughs> Although, like, now with, like, the internet and everything, like, most people would probably know. Yeah. Um, anyways. Uh, so, like, there is, like, some commentary where he puts Robert Patrick's character the entire time is wearing a police uniform. Um, which, like, we see that and we're, like, trusted individual. And then it kind of shows that... Um, with like things with Rodney King and thing there that's it's very it it has like a a sting to it like and that was intentional mm-hmm. and stuff like that and he was trying to play off of the incidents that happened within the Rodney King riots and things along those lines the only thing that I would say then uh, to like yes and that again appreciate that you're trying to put this in your movie maybe cast a person of color to help tell that story as well. We got Joe Morton. Yep. <laughs> and again, there is like there is some good steps being taken because Joe Morton in an interview has said that like when he got the part, Cameron was like I only wanted to cast a black actor in this part because I wanted to start breaking stereotypes. Mm-hmm. Like he didn't want to see another white actor in that role. And so again, I think Cameron is absolutely trying his best to do some good things and I will give him all the points in the world. And just because we're 30 years later mm-hmm. doesn't mean that we can't see and recognize what they were trying to do while also being like Here's what they could have done. And I think that here's what they could have done is just a helpful statement for us as people. As like, oh, if we are in a situation where we are trying to tell somebody else's story, maybe we should rethink how we can maybe let them tell their own story. Yeah, it's easier. It's As people, it's easier for us to reflect on ourselves if we practice reflecting on others. Absolutely. And yeah. so like, that's essentially what we're doing. Um, your version, I don't think Joe Morton does very is in very much of the film. I got a few more scenes yeah. with Joe Morton. He's in like two sequences, and mm-hmm. that's about it. Yeah. Yeah, I get 
before we break into his house, like we get a, we get a, like I get a few scenes of him with his family, yeah. and you're like, oh, good dad. <laughs> I also get good dad, but also I get much less of him. So like the only sequences you don't know he has a daughter. Right here. Yeah, no, I don't. He's got one kid. That's it. Yeah, yeah two. <laughs> um, they want to go to the water park. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, I think that the I think that one of the weaker things of this film, which we've kind of like been sidestepping, because like it's been said, we also don't want to be mean. Edward Furlong's performance is one of the weaker things. I don't necessarily blame him. I really blame a lot of the writing because some of those lines are horrendous. Yeah, like, there's some George Lucas level of dialogue in this movie. Like, it's not great. And he has a lot of it because I don't think that... (sighs) Oh, did Cameron write this? I think he did. Cameron and William Wisher Jr. Who's, like, a buddy of his from, like, high school, so... Yeah. Yeah. So, like, I mean, like... I know, like, the internet's a lot meaner to this performance. I'm like, yeah, it's bad. It's also not that well-written. Like, we're... What are you going to do when, like, Cameron's literally, like, and again, I was listening to an interview where, like, he was, yeah, I wanted a child who didn't have any experience. I wanted a fresh face. Okay, cool. But then you're going to saddle him with carrying so much of this movie. Yeah. And, like, yes. One of the things that I can say about Edward Furlong's performance that I think works is he has a really good chemistry with Arnold Schwarzenegger, who's not the best actor himself. Mm -hmm. And so I think when you try to pair these two people who maybe are charismatic, but, like, are, are not great emotional, like, hefters in terms of, like, acting and performance and have them carry your movie... Yeah, they're gonna struggle a lot of times, and I think that that's true. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a, that. That's a good point. I mean, like, I think Arnold Schwarzenegger is fine in these. Uh, I mean, I, like, he does exactly what he's asked to do, and these are some of his better performances, which I think is damning with faint praise, but is true. Yeah, like, 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 like he's great as the Terminator. That acting performance isn't acting asking for much. If any, for mo- the most part, it's a physical performance, which he can do. Yeah. Physical performances is his thing. He doesn't have to change the way his face looks. Yeah. Perfect. You know, they ask him to smile, and I'm like, ooh, <laughs> that's, that's his best acting. <laughs> <laughs> but overall, I mean, like, he's he's doing his he's doing his thing. This is probably the film he's most famous for. Mm-hmm. Um, it's pro yeah. I, j- I do think it's telling that in hit in the biggest run of his career. Um, where, like, he's, like, action star, and we see him kind of going through these things. But during some of the biggest runs of his careers, you get films like Kindergarten Cop and Twins and Junior, where people are like, you know what Arnold can actually do well is play deadpan comedy mm-hmm. and be the the straight man in the comedic duo, you know? And I think that when he's used like that, that's great. When he's forced into the, like action star role he's he's got a very limited amount of range of things he can play i mean i think there's a reason why like if there is an arnold schwarzenegger drama we either don't remember it or it doesn't exist i remember maggie it's burned in my <laughs> fair fair enough fair. yeah i mean yeah i mean like after this i mean like predator is his other action film that he's super known for total recall Conan, but Bat- that's earlier. Batman and Robin. <laughs> ah, we just got a pun everywhere. 
if that's all you're, they're going to write for you, you earn that yeah. $1 million every day. Um, so, yeah. For me, I think the movie, um, the action sequences are where it really drags for me. Mm-hmm. I think there's a lot of them. And I think that we could definitely tighten it up in places. Or, um, like, even, even just, like, change them up. Yeah. Like, like I feel like there's, like, three car chases. Because <laughs> there, there's the car chase. There's the car chase where we first get, we're on the motorbike, mm-hmm. the most fresh. Um, there's the one like where they're escaping the institution and they have the car chase away from Robert Patrick's character. And then there's another car chase after Skynet. And mm-hmm. like, it's just like. Yeah. I wonder how much of that is <clears throat> them trying in some way to stick to a similar structure as the first Terminator because um, once. Kyle Reeser meets up with Sarah Connor in that movie, it is a long car chase broken up by a night of making a child. Like, that is literally the back three-fourths of that movie. Um, And I wonder if just basically just trying for similar structure, that ends up just being a fault, I think, of both movies. Mm -hmm. Um, I also like, I don't know, maybe I'm a monster... I don't really care about John Connor and the really like Sarah Connor is the only character in these movies that I care about. And I've only seen these first two. I don't care to see the rest of them. Um, but like I've seen Genesis. I literally Anne was like, Do we watch the rest of them now? And I was like, I will watch all of the ones that have Sarah Connor in them. Okay, so you gotta watch Genesis. Is she in that one? Yeah, great. You also need to watch the newest one. Maybe I need to rephrase Do, that, okay. too. I'll watch all the ones with Linda Hamilton in them. So I'll watch Dark Fate. You also need to watch Salvation. Oh, why is she in that one? She has, like, a... Like, she's just in, like, a little boop. I'll just watch that scene. No, you think you need the whole story. All right, great. I'm going to stick with the first two, because that's then, all I care about. And then you're going to... You need to pause halfway in the middle, and then you need to play that rant of Christian Bale. Uh, yeah, that awful rant. Um, yeah, the rest of this franchise is, is nonsense. I don't. Me, I don't think you're a monster for not caring much about John Carter. Connor. Connor. <laughs> I actually Connor. like John Carter of Mars. Good. Good. Good guy. Um, not really. I think. I think. I mean, like the the main issue about John Connor is that the first movie, all we're told is that he's like a messiah, mm-hmm. and we're like, woo, and like this lady is gonna be his mom. Yeah. Great. And then in the second one, you actually meet him, and you're kind of like, oh, this kid is gonna be the leader of the free world of the of the rebels, and that's just a little bit harder. Yeah. Um. But yeah, I oh the last little thing that I have on this movie is about the tech, um, which holds up well. I think that uh, the, the early '90s movies that start to integrate computer animation and CGI with practical effects, I think hold up very, very well. Um, And this is definitely one of them. Um, Sure, you could watch something and be like, oh yeah, that's a computer. I can see that now. But that's not the point. No, Robert Patrick learned how to walk through bars. Absolutely. He talked with David Blaine. (laughs) Um, So yeah, I think that this movie holds up really well in terms of it. And the lesson that can be learned that I wish would be learned so much is like they used computers when they needed to use them, not just because they could use them. Um, And that is something that like I appreciate about this movie and others in the future that also do similar things. Yeah. I agree. Yeah. Okay. 
Good, I think this is a good stopping point. Hey, folks, you don't need to listen to the next episode. Just wait for next month. <laughs> or if you want to watch us talk about or listen to us talk about two strange pieces of film, you can do that as well. They're not strange. They're totally on the mark. We got this. All right. Let, <laughs> let's close it up. <laughs> All right, friends. If you want to find us, uh, you can do so on friendofafriendpodcast.squarespace.com. Leave us a comment on the episode. Uh, we'll read it. We will. And we may respond to it even out loud on the podcast. You can find us on Apple Podcasts and iTunes. Um, leave us a five-star review or any star review is very helpful. Um, uh, as well as share share it out. If you like this podcast and you're enjoying it and you're one of like four people listening, I don't know, tell others. That's always helpful. Um, you can find me on Letterboxd. I'm at Darby ACT. I don't know what movies there. Kylie, any information to share? No. Great. You can find Kylie only on this podcast. If you if you let me know a PO box, I'll send you a postcard. <laughs> I want somebody to do this right now. <laughs> Just send me a send me a, a, a PO box. I will send you a postcard with clues, and then you'll have to go find a treasure. Uh, great. Well, thank you so much for listening. Uh, we really appreciate you. I've been Josh, and I'm Kylie. Quack 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 quack. quack. Okay, hot, biggest hot take: Shazam's casting. <laughs> it's not a big hot take. Shazam's casting is off. Because it should have been John Cena as Shazam, yeah. or it should have been uh, Tanning Chatham as Shazam. Tanning Chatham? Tanning Chatham. <laughs> I think his name is Tanning Chatham. I think that's his name. I'm sorry that I forgot his name. He hasn't been around for 18 yeah, years. Where are you, Channing? Where are you? Probably in his big Hollywood house for making the 21 and 22 Jump movies. Yeah. That's all the money in the world. They get played. They're probably one playing on TV right, <laughs> right now. now. <laughs>